and welcome to the Metazoa Podcast, a show about nature by those who love nature. I'm your host, Phoebe Carnes, a passionate biology student and your resident alcoholic. And I'm your co-host, Jacob Dunford, biology-flavored comp sci major. Woo! It feels like it's been forever since we recorded an episode. It has been like two weeks, which is a lot for us. Which is so much for us, but I'm so excited. We have some awesome stuff to talk about. It's very interesting things to talk about, I think. So let's just jump right in to the news. Let's do it. Let's do it. So have you heard about this, I mean, honestly, quite historic um, legislation passed in South Korea about banning the dog meat trade? I cannot say I have. So tell, in me, a historic- tell me more about it, Phoebe. <laughs> oh, oh, don't worry. In a historic vote, South Korea's National Assembly, which I'm guessing is like their main legislative body, um, has banned the country's dog meat trade. Oh. So just to give you an idea of like how big this this industry is, an estimated one million dogs are raised and harvested for their meat every single year. One million. That's a lot that, of dogs. That is That's in, a lot. In, just in South Korea, which is I mean, a sizable country, but it's not, you know, like the United States or anything like that. Yeah. So that's a lot that's a lot of dogs. It's a lot of dogs. Um and so the span, which is going to be implemented in the next six months or so, um, they're, they're kind of weaning people off of this. So it has a phase out period of about three years right now. So by 2027 is when like the penalties and stuff are actually going to go into place here. But the decision actually came because there has been an all time low in the demand for dog meat in the country. Really? So 86 <clears throat> percent. Of South Koreans, they did a poll. Eighty-six <laughs> percent of South Koreans say they had no interest in eating dog meat in the future. Eighty-six percent. Wow. Okay, that's eighty-six percent. Eighty-six more than half. By a lot. More I than, mean, more than three quarters, actually. You don't see a whole lot of polls that have that kind of skew. You know, that's like, true. That's true. Um, and and you know what is kind of nice is that the government agreed to give some compensation to like the farmers and the restaurant owners who relied on this this whole industry right um it's cool actually that is cool and they've actually even set up programs to help farmers specifically switch to growing different types of crops um so that they have a new money making that's more than i've ever heard (laughs) us do when we shut a industry down for real though, um, which I think is really cool, like trying to help people because you know this is, is. you're not you know, just saying hey you can't do this anymore S- sucks to suck figure it out yeah I mean That's regardless cool of like, like the ethic and moral qualms that we may have with with eating dog meat I mean this was people's livelihoods you know this was a thing that they did it's there also a, um, a different world yeah it's a whole different world too but. Um, I think it like one of my favorite parts about the story is this idea of like because dog meat is a traditional sort of dish in um, South Korea and some other countries as well. But this idea of like the younger people um, kind of getting to that age now where, where we can say, you know what, we, we're just not interested in this anymore. This just, <laughs> just doesn't have no doesn't interest vibe. in eating this in the future. Yeah, I think that's really that's cool. Funny. 
Other cool news. Research suggests that sperm whales have clans and cultures. Similar to orcas? Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think this is necessarily a surprise because, you know, orcas, humpback whales, a lot of other species of dolphin, they all have cultures. So I think this was just kind of a, we assume they did, but we just didn't know for sure. You know what I mean? Before we go on, Phoebe, would you care to explain what we mean by cultures? Yeah, absolutely. So in the case of um, dolphins and whales specifically, cultures can be a variety of traditions. They can also include languages and dialects that these different groups of these animals will have. So orcas, for example, um, there are going to be some groups that are going to have traditions like rubbing beaches. Have you heard of those? Rubbing beaches? No. No, yeah, so they're super cool. So there's there's some pods that will go to these beaches where there's pebbles and it's kind of near the shore. And it's just a tradition for them to take their pod and rub up against the pebbles. And they cool. just all will like get in a little line and do it. And it's just like, it's fun, you know? Um, <laughs> just a little fun family outing. Just, just a little fun family outing. But it, it's kind of incredible. And this is sort of a new field of study that we're getting into here as well. But the language barriers between these groups is sometimes so great that they can't communicate with each other. Just like, you know, humans. Yeah. Um, some of our language barriers, like we can read like body language to get an idea, but we can't actually really talk with each other. Mm. Um, it's the same thing for these animals. It's, it's quite analogous to the way that we have our own cultures and traditions as well. Yeah. It's super cool stuff. Super cool stuff. Um, so these researchers, they use underwater microphones, which I've always wanted to have because those sound so cool, <laughs> um, and some drone footage as well. And they found that they studied specifically the sperm whales in the Pacific Ocean, so off the West Coast. And there's about 300,000 out there, we estimate, right? And so mm -hmm. using all of this data, they came to the conclusion that this 300,000 population can be separated into seven clans. Now, okay. you break down those numbers, that's like 20,000 per clan. That's a lot of individuals. That's a lot of individuals. And each clan is going to have its own distinct dialect. And, and this was determined using differences in the Morse, um, the Morse code-like clicks that they use to communicate. This is what we call codas. Um, so each one is going to be different for each clan. And what's what really happens if they bump into each other? What do they, what do, what yeah, do, they do? Great question. They just kind of say hi and move along. They don't interbreed, which is super fascinating. Like in um, the clans? Yeah, like in between the clans. They don't, they don't oh, interbreed wait, between that's clans. Really cool. Yeah, which really I mean, is <laughs> so interesting. Um, and just like other whale species, too, each clan is female-led, so it's a matriarchy. In fact, mm -hmm. one of the, the researchers on the study said, quote, the male's only important transfer is sperm, end quote. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know whale culture is, is kind of cool, not going to lie. But I think what's the most interesting thing about this is that it appears as though sperm whale societies utilize communal decision-making. 
They're a democracy? They're a democracy. So these researchers, they observed them, quote, taking up to an hour or more to make a 90 degree turn as they tried to agree on where to go, end quote. (laughs) Democracy. (laughs) The joys of of democracy. We're seeing the birth of whale democracy as we know it. That's that's good. That's good. That's a good story. But like, can you imagine like how, if there's 20,000 of them per clan- like how do they how, like yeah do they like each have their little like piece of paper that they write their <laughs> write their vote on and they like put it in the whale ballot i think like, that's exactly how it works probably that's, that's gotta I, be how it works i don't know maybe, maybe they hop on their little their little whale pods get it <laughs> and then you're so funny <laughs> and then they like have a pole and they just like you know submit what they're what, what they want on their little whale pods they just have polls that they send out via email. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of, uh, Whale, naturally. Mail. Whale mail. <laughs> but I mean, that must be crazy. Like 20,000 different opinions on where we're going to turn. I mean, that's that's wild. We turn, can't make yeah. decisions and it's just two of us and we can never <laughs> come to a decision on anything. So <laughs> much less 20,000. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's funny. You mentioned pods and actually... One of the researchers, David Whitehead, expressed his preference to use the term whale nations. <laughs> whale Just nations. because the sheer magnitude and scale of these clans, like Pod, I just don't think cuts it. So I, I feel like yeah, whale nations. Pod nation, to me is like 10, 20 max. Yeah, not 20,000. Whale nations. <laughs> I, like, I like that. Whale nations. Whale nations. Um, now let's go prehistoric. Is this, oh, okay. is, is this the going, first time we've gone prehistoric on the podcast? This is the first time we've gone prehistoric. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Well, Jacob, t- you uh-huh. love T-Rex, right? Yeah. T-Rex yeah, they're are pretty, pretty cool. cool. Yeah, they're pretty awesome. Well, guess what, Jacob? There's a new one on the block, a new species. There's a new guy in town? There's a new guy in town. So, okay, okay. D- let me just paint a little picture here for a second. Okay, let me close my eyes again. Yeah. There's a museum in New Mexico, right? Okay. And they had this T-Rex skull that was on display at the museum. You know, probably under lights and with all this information about how awesome T-Rexes were and all that. Okay, okay. With the the banner, uh, this is Jurassic World falling down from the sky. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, something like to that extent, I'm sure. Yes, Mm -hmm, exactly. mm -hmm. And now you're a paleontologist. So... You're oh, going to I this am. museum. Okay. Yeah, yeah. In this in this hypothetical, yes, I you're a paleontologist. A paleontologist. Yes, just get into that mindset. Okay. So you're looking at dirt. this skull. I love dirt. Yep. Mm-hmm. You're looking at the skull. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, huh? There huh. are some weird. There are some weird anomalies. Anomalies. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> You are the worst. Um, I'm a paleontologist. Yeah, you're a paleontologist, and you're just you're noticing these weird anomalies. There's oh my some gosh, weird stuff that, going that's on a with word that I just cannot say. Apparently, anomaly, anomalies. There you go. Anem, anem, anemone, anem. Anyway, I'm a paleontologist, and there's some weird stuff going on with this skull. Yeah. And so you're like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna take this into the back. We're gonna do some more testing because this is just a little weird, right? Well, okay. it turns out. So we know the T Rex lived sixty nine million years ago or so, 
roughly. And so you date the skull and you see, well, this individual was alive 73 to 71 million years ago. About 5 million years before T-Rex was even on the scene. I don't think T-Rexes lived that long. No, no, they, they do not. <laughs> and not only that, so here's one of the co-authors, Nick Longrich, who stated, quote, The most striking difference is the shape of the lower jaw, which is more slender and curved than T-Rex. It also lacks the prominent bosses or hornlets found over the top of the eyes in T-Rex, end quote. Is that like it's uh, like the... Uh, what do you call that? I guess you call it a bosses or a hornlet of like where it like comes out over the eye. Like yeah, like a little, little ridge. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ridge is what the word I was looking for. Yeah, so so these guys are smooth, you know, smooth faced. Yeah, they're really smooth. So so th- these are enough differences to make it a new species, and so this species Whoa. has been given the name Tyrannosaurus micraensis, which admittedly does not sound as awesome as T Rex, but. <laughs> You know, no, but but what is cool is that it's possible that this was even larger than the tyrant lizard king. Ooh. And to give you a perspective, T Rex, as far as we know, grew to be around thirty nine feet in length, which is the size of a double decker bus. So this this dinosaur might be even larger than that. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. It's so cool, but we only have this one skull, you know, so we need. I guess to look closely at other T Rex skulls to, so to figure this out. The skull out. was found, not the skull, the skull was on display in the, in New Mexico. Yeah, it was at a museum and, and it was displayed as a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Do we know where the skull came from? I'm sure I'm sure they have some records. I did find that the skull itself was uncovered in 1983. Um, so I'm sure they have like a record somewhere of where, but. Mm-hmm. I, I did not find that information, um, but I'm sure they're going to go back to this location and see if they can, or just right. look at other maybe T-Rex skulls and, and bones that had been found in that area just to see if maybe there's other discrepancies too. That's that's really cool. That's it's really so cool. cool. I love seeing new dinosaur species discovered. It's just right. like... Especially like one as, as large in the public eye as the T-Rex. You don't see that I very much. I know. It's so cool. Um, now jumping forward 65 million years to the present, <laughs> we're jumping. Take. We're jumping around a little bit today. Um, are you looking at the image on the dock right now? I am. It is a very pretty bird. It's a very pretty bird. Do you notice anything Wait. weird about this bird? Um, it is half and half. Yeah, it's like almost one, perfectly down the, one the middle. Side, yeah, one side is uh, like a really bright blue, and the other one's more of a muted green, mm-hmm. uh, which Giving what I know about birds, and totally not because I read the title, um, I'm going to assume <laughs> that it is both male and female at the same time. Yeah. So what you're looking at is a green honey creeper. These are found in Colombia. It has both male and female plumage, um, and it's only the second time that this has been documented in this species of bird. Oh, so it's been documented before. Yeah, um, in cool. many birds, actually. Um, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So not only are you seeing that, you know, half of its body has the plumage, right? Um, But the reproductive organs, so half of its body has the male reproductive organs. The other half has female reproductive organs. Do they still work? Unclear. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) It's it's like presumed that it could mate, but 
based on the people who have been watching this bird, it doesn't seem all that interested. It just kind of hangs out. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's just sort of bird. It's, it's just it's sort of care. hanging around. Um, so this is a really cool biological phenomenon known as bilateral gynadromorphism. It's a big word. Wait, wait, wait. Um, let me find that again. I got to read it. Bilateral yeah. gynandromorphism. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this occurs when the female bird, the mama bird, produces eggs with two nuclei. So essentially two chances of fertilizing the same egg is sort of the idea. Mm-hmm. And so the egg is double fertilized, which is what causes this weird. So they're like twins, but like they're like conjoined twins, except if instead of it being two individuals, they like just merged. One. Yeah, that's that's sort of a way to look at it. Yeah, that's interesting. It's so cool. Um, cardinals have been known to do that. There's been quite a few cardinals really? that have been seeing. I want to. I got to find a picture of that cardinal bilateral. <laughs> I'm not going to type the whole word. I'm just. You know, no. I just type gy and then it worked. Yeah. There you go. Huh. Not quite as striking, but still really interesting. Yeah, still really cool. And there, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about this. Like, your question, can they reproduce? And if they do, what happens? We have no clue. Nobody knows. That's really interesting. Super cool. Oh, I mean, just okay. imagine, like, seeing a bird like that. Like, wondering, like, what is happening? And what is... <laughs> who, who painted you? Who, who painted you? <laughs> oh, very fun. That's so you know, interesting. We gotta we gotta talk about this other bit of news, Jacob. Okay. Um, how much like do you your, know? Your shift. Yeah, a little bit. H- how much do you know about California's mountain lions? Are you like um, familiar with them? Not or? much. Not much. Educate me, Phoebe. Gladly. That's what I'm here for. Um, so for for many a decade now. The California Fish and Wildlife Department has estimated that the state's mountain lion population was about 6,000, um, which is not that many. That's but, not a lot. But, you know, I mean, for just being in one state, like that's – there are states that are worse. Not bad. We'll, we'll not say bad. that. Yeah. Florida's a lot worse. They have like maybe 100, Ooh. I think. Yeah. No, well, <laughs> I think more than two. But <laughs> <laughs> um but, you know, they, they were looking at this number and they're like, well, this number is old. Maybe we need to reexamine this, get a better idea. So this was a collaborative operation that they did over the course of seven years, I believe, um, with universities, nonprofits, state and local governments. Um, and so this team, they set out to get a more accurate estimate of how many mountain lions are in the state. So they searched for tracks. They set up trail cams. They darted and collared individual cougars. They collected fur samples. I mean, they were just getting as much data as they possibly could. And this project cost about $2.7 million to complete. Um, Over a seven-year period? Yeah. You do not see that kind of money being put into any conservation project. No, no. Especially at the state level. So that in and of itself, like kudos to California for putting in the money to get this done. That's that's pretty awesome. But here's where it gets sad. Remember, okay. they, they, they believed that there were 6,000. But now, based on the data, they estimate that there are only 3,500 to 4,500 mountain lions oh, left in the state. My. Okay. Okay, so that's fine. That, they were fine. at least 1,000 off. Yeah. 
that's significant. Um, that, yeah, that's really significant. And so, so here's just a little bit of background about mountain lions in California anyway. So there's about 40, 40 million people that are living in mountain lion territory in California. Um, of course, we're their most serious threat as we are mm-hmm. with everything. It of seems, course. um, roads especially are a big, big major threat for California mountain lions because you have to imagine mountain lions have huge territories spanning many, many miles. Mm-hmm. And so they, they often have to cross highways, major highways in California, which you can imagine are huge and are have a <laughs> constant flow of traffic to not get exactly from cat friendly. No, not exactly cat friendly. And you know, there there's been some efforts to make you've seen those wildlife corridors, right? Those bridges right, and stuff. Yeah. There's been efforts to make those in California and we know the mountain lions use those, but those are expensive and so they're not everywhere. But there's there's other threats too, like rat poison. Inbreeding is big. Rat poison? Okay. Yeah, rat poison. Um, inbreeding is a big thing. How are especially- they getting into yeah. rat poison? Are they getting into people's houses? Where are they finding um, rat poison? Yeah, so I think it's a case of like other animals eat the rat poison and either and pass away or yeah, something like that. Like yeah. they either pass away or the mountain lion finds them and eats them and then the rat poison just carries on to them too, I think is what's going on there. Inbreeding is a big thing, too, especially because these populations are kind of isolated. They can't move around a whole lot. Um, And they're already so small. And they're already so small. Wildfires um, and urban development, of course. But, I mean, as I said earlier, being 1,000 off when already that number was low, Mm, that's not good. Yeah, that's that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) One might even say that's bad. That's bad. And like, I mean, I just can imagine. I mean, there's a reason it took seven years to get this number because California, number one, it's a huge state, right? But number two, there's so many different environments that you're having to look at. I mean, mountain lions live anywhere. Deserts, mountains, forests, doesn't matter. They, They live anywhere. So you're having to look at every single habitat available (laughs) and tracking animals varies in different habitats so it's it's hard to keep like a one solution fits all kind of thing exactly like it's hard to it's hard to manage around that like as always i bring up the elk as an example but i was just thinking about the elk actually as you know as always we are thinking (laughs) about the elk um but I know in the in the Smokies, one of our big issues is trying to use the radio telemetry actually can be very challenging. This works mm. really well out west where it's flat and there's no mm. mountains. But here you, you'll have a signal that's coming at you, but maybe it's bouncing off the mountain. So you'll think it's there's an elk down that way when it turns out it's actually behind you because of the way the yeah. signal's bouncing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so that's hard. It makes it really hard to track those. Um, but, you know, we at least have the ability to know where elk like to and like not to be, right? Like True. we can narrow it down. Mountain lions, they don't care. They'll, they'll be. <laughs> and there's a lot of different kinds of habitats in California. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's a lot. So that that's going to make managing really difficult for these guys, I think. But It I should mean, be it's interesting just... to see, you know, how they, what they do with that. It, it really will be. Or what they can Wish do them... with that. 
wish them the best of luck with that. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's not on the dock, but I wanted to throw in here one final little update about the Colorado Wolves, actually, that I saw. Um, oh, okay, okay. Like Let's 30 minutes. 30 minutes before I jumped onto this podcast. Um, so the Colorado Parks and Wildlife released a little update saying that all 10 of the wolves they released appear to be healthy. They're still alive. So that's that's a plus. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's, that's a plus. That's a plus. And they actually, they released this really cool map of where the wolves have been going. Um, but what they did, because obviously you don't want to release exact locations, right? Um, mm-hmm. So what they did is that if a signal was in a watershed, they just <sighs> highlighted the whole watershed as saying the wolves have been here. So uh-huh. we're kind of oh, seeing, cool. yeah, yeah. So like, at least we're kind of seeing like the different areas and environments they're going into. So the wolves are doing good for everyone who was who was interested in following up on that story. Oh, it's, it's so good that they're that they're still okay. I Everything's know. Still I know. Our next segment is Animal Trivia. In this segment, I'll be quizzing our resident so-called expert, Phoebe Carnes, on all things animal. How are Yay. you feeling for today's uh, for days, today's trivia, Phoebe? Nervous. Scared Nervous. a little bit. <sighs> this, yeah. one's, this one's a little more fun than the ones, uh, not quite as evil as the ones I've, I've done f- for you in the past. I will not be asking you uh, what like a whale's blood pressure is this time. I still don't think oh. I can trust you, but <laughs> so we'll we'll you'll you'll detect a theme <laughs> very okay. fast because okay. I found I found one question and let me tell you it is becoming increasingly hard to find good animal trivia that's not okay. like what does a mammal have what makes a mammal <laughs> or you know something like that. I, like, think, I think you should ask me those. I think you should ask. Does a bear have so? You, you'll detect a theme because I found okay. just one question. I was like, I really like this, and I just ran with it. Okay. So um, our first question is, yeah. what is a group of flamingos? <sighs> okay. I believe it is called a flamboyance. You would be correct. Yes. It is a group of flamingos. is called a flamboyance. That's so fun. I don't, yeah, I don't know. I want to talk to who comes up with the names of groups of animals because there, there are a lot of interesting choices. Can we I mean, petition it, for us to be like, those people? Right? <laughs> I don't know how many groups of animals are left to name, though, Phoebe. Uh, we'll figure something out. Yeah. Okay, well, the next question is, what is a group of owls called? Oh, a group of owls? Ooh, probably something mysterious. I was going to, this is so dumb, but like a knowledge. Because <laughs> they're smart. not super far, actually. Really? Mm, um, I, hmm. Am I allowed to ask what it starts with? Sure, it starts with a P. It starts with a P, and I wasn't far mm. off when I said knowledge. It's not a pandemonium, is it? Call back to no, episode that's, one. <laughs> that's, those are parrots. <laughs> Starts with a P. Uh, what birds start with P? That's, I think that's all. What bird starts with P? What do you mean? No, I said what name? Oh, I thought you said bird. I was like, what? Okay, no. <laughs> a group of owls starts with a P. 
That's, uh, I don't think I can really give you any more hints. I think I, – I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm trying like to two, think of – Two guesses. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think of something that would, like, make sense. Um, a Pandora. That doesn't make any sense. A Pandora. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay I'll, give, I'll give you uh, another hint it okay. is it it's uh-huh. a form of government oh a parliament yeah <laughs> <laughs> owls called a parliament <laughs> i'm just imagining owls like dressed in like like they got the top hats with like the 18th wigs century yeah, Victorian yeah, yeah. The, England. The big coat. <laughs> got the monocles. Oh yes, the monocles. Oh, I do say. <laughs> That's amazing. A parliament of owls. Yeah. Um so yeah, there's that. Uh what is a group of ferrets called? Oh, I I've heard this before. Oh no. Um, I mean, ferrets are pretty mischievous. A mischief? No, that's that'd be good, but no. Uh-huh. See, I think we should name them because my ideas are better. Um, except Parliament. <laughs> Parliament was good. That was good. Parliament I approved. Was good. Um, what's what to start with? A B. A B. A B. Um, uh, a a ball of ferrets. Uh, no, I really don't <laughs> think I can give you a hint. I, just, I, I don't. There's. Not really anything I could give you besides just straight up telling you the name. Okay, I I haven't I do not know. It is a business. Oh, business! And their little a ties. Of ferrets. <laughs> they got the little suits. The little. They're three piece suits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ready to have their yep. meetings. <laughs> um, <laughs> this one's this one really got me. Uh, what is a group of pandas called? <laughs> oh no. Not a pandemonium, is it? <laughs> that, no, no. There's another pandemonium. That was just be my e. first guess. An E? Mm-hmm. Uh, a. Um, what words start with E? What? Evix. An Evix of pandas. No. Um, a extraordinaire of pandas. A. Um, you. A eucalyptus. A eucalyptus. <laughs> I'm just trying That's to think of words that start with E. It's not even a I know. <laughs> what words start with E that names things? <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea what. A group of pandas is called an embarrassment. No! <laughs> really? Yeah. No! <laughs> An embarrassment of pandas. Who did that? <laughs> I don't know. Why, why do they hate pandas so much? What? An embarrassment. <laughs> no! It's a, it's a pandemonium. That's an so embarrassment. mean. Embarrassment oh of pandas. So we've got a flamboyance of flamingos, a parliament of owls, a business of ferrets, and an embarrassment of pandas. That's that's so sad. And I've got a, I've got one more question for you. Uh oh. Okay. Yeah. And I found this out on accident. And I was like, "This okay. is too good. It doesn't fit the theme, but this is okay. too good." And I and you may not know the answer to this, but uh-huh. I feel like we have to have a discussion about this anyway. Okay. What key does a house fly hum in? This is not a joke. This is real. No, I know. 
What key does a housefly hum in? B? No, actually. No? Get it? B? Because that's another yeah, 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 answer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the actual answer, I think, is funnier. Um, F sharp? I don't know. I mean, the I could. I mean, we could just keep going through all the <laughs> keys, going. but it's it's, it's in, the it's key of F. F. Okay, they fly. that was close. <laughs> Is that? <laughs> no, that's that's real. But that's why I thought it was funny because it's key to F. But that's so interesting. That so apparently the common housefly flaps its wings about 190 times per second, and the human ear well. interprets that frequency as a pitch along the F major scale. So that would be pitches such as F, G, A, B, C, D, and E. Wow, that's like that. And then I also in my research found videos of pl- people playing alongside houseflies. Oh, like playing instruments? Yes. Whoa. I have I didn't watch any of them, but I might have to do some some after the episode research. That's so cool. So it's like Houseflies hum and F. That's so interesting. Wow. Huh. Cuz so they yeah, fly. There's your It's cuz they cuz <laughs> cuz they fly. <laughs> well, that, that is all it's I got time. for you. You failed. <laughs> you you didn't get a single one of them I, right. I, no, yes, you got I one. Did. You got one. You got you got a I got 20. two. You got a twenty percent. What did what two did you get? Parliament and flamboyance. Oh yeah, do, yeah but I gave you a lot of hints do, for Parliament. Oh oh oh, hush. Do do all right, not fine. insult. We'll give you. We'll give you. A 40%. You failed. You still failed. Oh, is it necessary to say my grade after all? Is that is that needed for the segment? I think so. I think so. Okay. Okay. It's time for everyone's favorite segment. <laughs> Weird, wacky, and wondrous. In this segment, I have compiled a list of images that I'm going to show my dear acquaintance, Jacob, here. Jacob has to tell me all about said creature, and we're going to see how close you get. You ready? I am hovering. I'm hovering over the Jacob do not look beyond this point page. You are free to look beyond the point. (laughs) (laughs) Why is it so angry? (laughs) I really wanted to capture the essence of this creature. Right off the bat, so <laughs> tell tell me what you're thinking, Jacob. So it is a um, it's a very pretty rat. Um, essentially, <laughs> yeah. is what it looks like. It look it's it's a rodent. I'm gonna say, okay. um, it's got like brown and tan fur with little white spots along its side, little little naked feet, and it is screaming. It yeah, or it might be yawning, but it looks like it's screaming. Its eyes are all narrowed and everything. Mm-hmm. It's all hunched back like a cat like hissing hey, that thing is screaming at me um <laughs> oh they're so cute it doesn't have a rat tail though it has a it has like a a normal fully furred tail yeah they look like a little they're cute um so this thing looks like it's pretty small yeah <gasps> are those babies on the third one or is it just um, they're young ones color? yeah okay I couldn't tell if they were like a different subspecies or if they were babies. They looked babies because they kind of look like how does not does that's 
uh, female deer. Uh, fawn, right? That's the name for a baby deer? Yeah. Like the spots, yeah, they, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. I was, how fawns have like little spots on their back and they kind of mm-hmm. grow out of them a little bit. Because- yeah, so just to help you out, I, I, there's a couple species in here, but they all are, are basically the same, just different like colors and stuff. So we just compiled a couple of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, because the adults have a lot, have, don't have that many spots. I mean, they've got mm-hmm. a good number of spots along their sides, but the babies have spots everywhere. All over the place. Okay, so I wish I could see their teeth a little bit. Oh, I can see their teeth a little bit better. I'm going to say they eat bugs, primarily. Okay. Um, um, I'm sure they might eat like nuts and stuff if they so chose but they look like they look like little insectivores to me okay interesting um, they got good little feet for climbing you mm-hmm. would see um most of these pictures have them pretty close to the ground though mm-hmm. all the, i say that but they're all on all the pictures are of them or of adults are on branches, but none of the branches seem to be that high. And I don't know if that's because they don't really like to go that high or if um, it's because uh, that's just where they got pictures of them. Yeah. Hmm. They could be burrowers, like as in uh, they have like little dens in the ground or they could nest like um, squirrels, chipmunks do, whether that Mm -hmm. be, like a little nest in the tree branches or yeah. in the trees themselves. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't know which one. I, they're very slender, but they are. I don't know. I feel like if they were burrowers, there'd be more pictures of them, like, you know, on the ground doing little things mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Good observation. So I'm going to say that they are not burrowers and they Mm -hmm. don't look like they have very good digging claws either i'm not gonna lie yeah those are not really digging hands are they no they look like they're much more suited well suited for climbing yeah um all these pictures are during the day so i'm gonna say that they are not nocturnal Mm -hmm. i cannot remember what the word for they like to be on the day is diurnal Diurnal. I knew it started with a D, but I couldn't yeah. remember. Diurnal. I'm going to say that they're diurnal. Okay. <clears throat> they eat primarily insects because they got some sharp teeth. They do. Um, and they're very angry critters. <laughs> you think? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that first image. I mean, that one's definitely a little. Yeah, he's at angry. Something. Yeah, he's he's definitely yelling at somebody. And they're very cute. They are really cute. They got really they big eyes. They do got big eyes. They do have really big eyes. Ooh, they do have big eyes. Uh-huh. They do. Very big forward-facing eyes. Oh, mm-hmm. which means that they are predators, for one. It does. I said that they eat mostly insects, but I really don't know how big they are, so they could eat other small mammals. Uh-huh. But I can't. I can only see how big the babies are. I have no frame of reference for how big the the adults are. Like I, I see I, that I can, branch, but I think I can go in and just tell you that, like, for the largest species, 
Um, they're about three feet in length. So like the oh, size okay. of a small yeah, dog or a cat. Okay, then they definitely eat. They definitely could eat smaller mammals. Mm-hmm. Um, they got big eyes. <laughs> they're weird little creatures, aren't they? they they're weird. They're weird. I think you might actually be trying to throw me off by only having daytime pictures. I don't know. I, I I did not do that on purpose, if that's what you are wondering. These are just the best images I found. Okay. So okay. okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. I don't know. They got they got eyes. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. Yes, they do. <laughs> Great. It's astute observation. No, you've done pretty well, so if that if that helps you you you've done a good no. job okay <laughs> um, i'm i'm going to stick with my answer that they're mostly okay. diurnal yeah although i could definitely see those guys like running through the trees at night mhm um whatever we'll just stick with that and they eat yep. smaller mammals and probably maybe insects i'm i'm sure to eat an insect if it felt like it mm-hmm. um and i really like this picture of them screaming and that they climb and stuff. And that is my final answer. Awesome. Well, you know, you did pretty good. So this adorable and also kind of terrifying little mammal is called a quoll. A quoll. Okay. Like quill, but with an O instead. That sounds like quoll. a Pokemon. It does a little bit. Um, so as I said, there's six different species that live across Australia, Tasmania, and New Guinea. Of course, it would be That's in Australia. I thought. Yeah. So they're actually, they're marsupials. They're marsupials? They're marsupials. Oh yeah. my god. Uh-huh. So newborn quolls, little baby quolls, they're about the size of a grain of rice when they're born. Baby. Itty bitty. <laughs> Absolutely Not tiny. Of the size of a grain of rice. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, itty bitty. Here's a weird thing that I found in my in my research. So new mothers, new mother quolls tend to have litters that are mainly males, so male-dominated litters. But as she gets older, the litters switch and they become female-dominated. That's interesting. Why? (laughs) I don't know. No idea. It could be just some weird like pheromone thing, maybe, or like hormone thing that happens i'm not i'm not entirely sure why i couldn't find why that occurs so um also litters are probably each each um i don't know what you would call a baby quoll but each baby is probably going to have a different father as well so there's that Mm, Uh yeah so maybe that also has something to do with it i don't know so speaking of the males full-grown males are only eight pounds Tiny, tiny, little bitty little. Uh, The females, I think, are five to six pounds. Pounds. Okay, itty bitty. Yeah, itty bitty. But you know, the males—they don't live very long. Actually, most males only make it through one mating season. Really? Oh my lord! How long do females live? Two or three. So neither of them live particularly long, but the males live like a third to a quarter of of the life of the females. So So is a mating season like a year? Like, is that what, like, if you make it through a mating season, that's typically like a year? Typically for most species, yeah, it would be about a year. Um, That could be a little different for these guys because they, I don't think they live in places that have a lot of seasonality. So it might be sort of a year round 
situation. Um, but we'll just say that it's like every year is, is a mating season. So, mm-hmm. yeah, don't live very long. They go from the size of a grain of four That's- ice to eight pounds. They they mate and then they die. <laughs> probably why there's they so many of them are male. Maybe, yeah. Just the males don't live nearly as long. Yeah. Um, but quolls, they're cute. But they're also kind of scary because they're a carnivorous marsupial, so you were correct. Um, they eat mainly insects, but also have been known to take down wombats. Wombats? Oh my lord. <laughs> yeah, they've been known to do that too. So um, they actually have the second strongest bite force of any mammal really that little thing that little thing pound yes, for pound that's cool. um the they are only beaten by their cousin the tasmanian devil which has the strongest bite force of any mammal mm-hmm. so these little guys they have a stronger bite force than lions hyenas bears oh my almost pound for pound yeah crazy and here's here's one that's just kind of fun. They use communal latrines to keep in touch with each other. Kind of like what episode was it? <laughs> like, where we talked um, about the rhinos. Yeah, the rhinos. Yeah, they do kind of the that's same funny. thing, but they they also have a wide range of vocalizations. So it was funny when you said that the one was screaming because they do scream at each other to communicate, um, <laughs> and they will chirp and hiss as well. That was a very good picture to have as the very as the first one. By the way, that was I just one. thought it really encapsulated. All you really need to know about quolls. So it really, it really did. That that one picture is what I based everything I said <laughs> off of. I'm not gonna lie. I really so appreciate those, you showing me the teeth. That you're you're welcome. Yeah, I figured that was gonna be important. Um, so for those of you just listening on audio, we'll have this on our social medias, maybe if I remember. But that was this week's weird, wacky, and wondrous. What do you think about the quolls, Jacob? They are very weird. They're very wacky, and I'm and I may say they are quite wondrous. Well, you know that's all we ask for here at the Metasoa Podcast. <laughs> now let's let's move on to. The next topic of discussion today this one i think okay. is going to be very interesting for us to discuss okay so if you'll look at the two images of the owls that i have mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. um what are, what are some differences that you're noticing between uh, those if well, any one's looking behind and the other one's looking forward okay i mean i mean like physical traits <laughs> Jacob. but thank you thank you for that um okay well they are similar looking uh the mm-hmm. one on the bottom is bigger mm-hmm. just in general yeah um i can't see the front so i don't know if the front is just more pale and white because it's the front and if the back if the wings are going to look similar it's um, darker on the back yeah yeah but i'm saying like if the the belly of the one on top is going to be just as light oh, oh, oh. as the one on the bottom. You see what I mean? It's, so the belly of the one on the top, do you see around the head how it has that kind of cream-colored feathers? It's yeah, going to be the same on I the thought. belly. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be sort of that color with maybe some like darker like spots and stuff like that. Um, I think that these are going to be two very similar species, but I don't think they're the same. You would be correct. They're not the same, but if you were just out walking, you know, 
in, in the woods of California, Washington, Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, you probably wouldn't be able to tell those apart, right? Mm, I probably, not without them being like right next to each other? No, right. probably not. No, I probably couldn't either, to be honest with you. They're very similar looking species, but they are indeed two different species. The northern spotted owl, it's the small one on the top, the sort of brownish colored one. And then the invasive barred owl. Okay, that's not good. And these two owls are currently competing for dominance in the cool, wet, old growth forest of the Pacific Northwest. Now, here's some here's some backstory to this situation. Okay, okay. I love me some, so, um, some backstory. Oh, yeah, the history and all that. So, we have barred owls around here. You've probably heard right. them or, or seen them. Um, so, barred owls are native to the East Coast. They're not invasive to the states as a whole. They're native to the East Coast. But fire suppression and the planting of more trees across the Great Plains allowed them to move further west by the 1950s. So they expanded their range, kind of like how coyotes came over here when the wolves were gone. Mm -hmm. Sort of one of those situations where, like, it's sort of natural, but we kind of caused it. So it's a weird it's a weird gray, gray area. Yeah, like it's that's more of like a philosophical question if it's natural at that point. Um, yeah. But here's the problem, right? Barred owls are much larger and much more aggressive than the native northern spotted owl. Mm-hmm. And they're also generalist eaters. So what that means is that they're going to eat all kinds of things. Mice, fish, insects, birds, a lot of other animals. Um, while the, the spotted owls are a little more... Uh, a little more specific. Yeah, a little more mm-hmm. selective. Um, and people over there do not like barred owls at all. Mm. Here's here's a quote from the Seattle Times that I, I chuckled at a little bit when I read it. Quote, okay. they are relentless predators who eat <laughs> anything that moves. Okay. They will yank worms from the ground and salamanders out from under rocks, nail birds on the wing, and anything in the water, from fish to snails to crayfish and frogs, even slugs are on the menu, end quote. That is some very aggressive language. It is It is quite, quite aggressive. Uh, <laughs> now, in comparison to the northern spotted owls, which are listed as threatened and protected under the Endangered Species Act, Um, So study areas in these states, California, Oregon, and Washington, indicate that the spotted owl population has declined by 35 to 80 percent in the last 20 years. Is that – do they assume that's from the barred owl's pressure or – So there's there's a few things that have gone into that. So sort of what started this decline was probably logging operations, which removed habitat, reduced their numbers. And then after they were already struggling a little bit, the barred owls just sort of moved in and swooped in. It, it swooped in literally, um, mm-hmm. and, and did not help the situation very much at all. Um, so here, here's a quote from Catherine Fitzgerald. She's the Northern Spotted Owl Recovery Lead for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Quote: Everywhere the spotted owl can live and thrive, barred owls can thrive and do even better. End quote. Not good. For the spotted owls. No, not great. Not great. Not good. Um, but spotted owls are so cute. So I just found this and I thought this was fun to talk about how researchers have described these owls as being unafraid and calm around humans. So much so that there's there's apparently this running joke amongst the people who work with them, the wildlife biologist, that they have Valium for blood because they're just so, 
so chill. <laughs> um, I even came across a story where one researcher was banding one as it slept in her lap. <laughs> Aww. So, like, they're one of those animals where, like, when you work with them, it's hard to work with any other animal because they're just so fun to work with, that's, you know? That's, that's cool. I know. And so it's clear a lot of people care very deeply for the spotted owls. Um, and since they do have federal protections, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is legally obligated to do whatever they can to save them. So here's where we get into the discussion part of this. They came out with a plan recently, and this plan includes killing upwards of 500,000 barred owls. That's a lot of owls. It's a lot of owls. So here's sort of their, their reasoning for this. In some study sites, they found that killing barred owls has been shown to bring spotted owl declines back to a stable rate. So that's okay. good. That's a plus. So, and here, here's the other thing, too. This, this gives you an idea of just how many barred owls there are out there. At most, the agency plans to cull about 30% of the barred owl populations. And that's 500,000? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's like over, that's like a, well over, well over a million of them out here, you know? Um, and they don't plan to do this everywhere, just in some very specific recovery areas that are vital to the spotted owl, vital do the barred owls also eat the spotted owls? They don't eat them, but they certainly will will drive them out of their territories yeah, and sure. probably kill them. I would guess they're pretty aggressive. So, mm -hmm. um, but but I don't think they're actively hunting the spotted owls or anything. So 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 far, what do you think about this killing of the of the owls, the barred owls? <clears throat> well, it sounds like they know what they're doing. Um, it. It does get a little iffy because that's a lot of a lot of death, a lot of destruction. But mm -hmm. to be, but then I see where the gray area is coming in because we they move there of their own accord, but we also kind of made them do it to an extent. Let them do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Gave them the resources to move, so we didn't put right. them there. They put themselves there. And we did not force them to. So are they really invasive? I guess I, is part I of think the question. Yeah, that's like a philosophical question too. Mm -hmm. um, and so then you go into... Obviously, I, well, for me, I think the spotted owls are in, are in the right here because this is where they belong and the barred owls are kind of everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a lot of owls. It's a lot of owls. And I mean, I'm, this is not a decision that anyone in the Fish and Wildlife Service would want to come to. But no, of course it, not. It, it, it does seem clear based on the data that that we just talked about that like this will help the spotted owls. Mm -hmm. I, um, I think that they know what they, they've got the data to show that they know what they're talking about. Yeah. But here's where things get even a little bit more gray for me. Okay. Because 500,000, that's a lot of owls. Right, 500,000, that's a lot of owls for just the people working for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to try and take care of, right? Oh, Even if this is supposed ooh. to be over the next, I don't well, remember how many years. Um, so their, their idea is that they're going to let local landowners and land managers um, apply for permits to shoot barred owls on their properties. 
So the idea here is that these people are going to go through some training and then they are going to be advised to lure barred owls in with another owl's call and shoot them when they are within 30 yards and stationary. So this is why I opened this discussion showing you a spotted owl and a barred owl side by side. Because gotcha. Because mm-hmm. yeah, e- even seasoned wildlife biologists from a distance, um, I mean, I'm sure size might be a factor, but like it's nighttime, most likely, I'm guessing, is when these owls are going to be active mm. and people are going to be out here, you know, hunting them and stuff. That could be really dangerous for these spotted owls, I think. I, um, I'm going to agree. I have to agree with you. And... You know, I and I do want to give the fish and wildlife people some credit here because they are putting these people through training. They're trying to bring the barred owls in with a call from a barred owl, which in theory should scare off any spotted owl in the area, right? I mean, it does seem like they're they're really trying to to lower any sort of accidents that that could occur. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. This this just seems. I just don't there's like the idea. There's, there's, so, there's so many variables. And, and I don't like the idea of just local people who are not well-trained and well-versed in this sort of thing being the ones to undertake this this very important task for the protection and safety of the spotted owls. That just, that just doesn't seem like it's going to work out super well. No, I agree with you. People are crazy and hard to predict. And... Um, don't know where the line is, and that's what yeah. things get scary. Yeah, and, and, and I frankly, don't th- don't care where the line is. Yeah, and you know that's. I feel like I'm sure a majority of these people probably are gonna want to help the spotted owl, but I don't know. It just seems like a weird area for me that I I don't know if we should really really cross and and risk that. Um, and, and obviously, there's a lot of other people on the other side of this who are kind of up in arms, like, sort of what you were saying earlier, of like, well, the barred owls didn't do this maliciously. Like, they're just doing, they're just doing what they're doing. They just moved across somewhat naturally. I mean, they were just doing what a barred owl does. And now, now we're having to punish 500,000 of them for it, for that, um, when it's kind of our fault that they came over here in the first place. All um, right. Which I hear that because no one wants to see this many owls get killed. That's that's no fun for anybody. And um, but I think it's it's important to realize too that like as much as as much as I would not want any of these animals to die, a, a small percentage of the barred owl population, just because there are so darn many of them across the U.S. Evidently. A small percentage of that population is not worth more than the entire species that is the spotted owl. Does that make sense? No, I agree. I agree. And so that's a that's a very difficult, like ethical decision to come to. And I saw a quote from one of the biologists who sort of helped with this decision, and she was like, you know, this sucks for us, but we have to do what we can to fix our mistakes. And unfortunately that, that does include having to kill some of these animals, but there's, there's not really much of an, another choice here. You're right. So 
I just thought that it was is, very interesting. That is a really interesting, very, very gray area uh, discussion. I don't, I don't yeah. know how I feel about opening that up to the public as well. Mostly for me, mostly because of how what you're saying with how similar they are. Now, I'm sure that if you are an avid hunter or whatever, and you spend enough time, you could you could definitely tell the difference between them very quickly. But how oh, many sure. um, spotted owls have to die before people figure it out? You know. Yeah, I mean, for all I know, I mean that's probably what this training is. Is like how to identify them and all this other stuff. But I mean. I could go through training. I've been looking at both of those pictures for the past couple of days, and I still am not confident I could go out there in an actual wild setting and tell you which one's a barred owl, which one's a spotted owl. I right. probably couldn't. I would not feel confident or comfortable, especially at nighttime when you can't see color that well anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, that's my biggest teller is that the spotted owls are more brown, but if it's at nighttime, that's not going to matter, you know? No. So I don't I don't know. It's a it's a very interesting conversation. And I I unfortunately feel like we're gonna have to have more of these conversations just with the way the conservation is going. (laughs) Like this will not be the last time we we talk about this, I'm sure. Hopefully this goes well. Um and they don't have to rescind um that privilege of uh local landowners being able to uh shoot call the owls themselves hopefully doesn't become an issue and everything's okay i hope so too that's all we could hope for (laughs) at this point well that's about all that i have for today i mean do you have any last words you'd like to say about this this episode not much not much uh a group of pandas is an embarrassment and a group of owls is a parliament (laughs) We, we need to, can we petition to change the panda one? That's just not nice. That's just bullying. It's this mean. is bullying harassment. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you everyone for tuning in to episode four, right? Yeah, episode four. four. Our, it's, we're only four in and I've already lost track. Um, episode four of the Metazoa podcast. We hope you enjoyed. If you have any comments or criticisms you'd like to give us we are always looking for what you love what you didn't love as much anything you'd like to see okay not what you hated hopefully you didn't hate what you hated (laughs) jacob wants to know what you hated tell me what you hated (laughs) don't tell me yeah um but thank you everyone for tuning in follow us on all the social medias we're active especially on instagram And we will see everyone in the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.